I've spent a lot of time in the disaster recovery centers, which are like one-stop shops that FEMA sets up after a disaster. And uh, people are coming in and they're getting help with uh, complicated issues, uh, you know, insurance issues and filling out their FEMA applications. But sometimes they have to spend, you know, days and weeks just getting their driver's license and birth certificates and all those kinds of things, which often are necessary when you're applying for benefits or when you're trying to prove ownership or occupancy. The legal issues uh, specifically evolve over time post-disaster, specifically with major disasters like the ones in California uh, or, or Texas and Puerto Rico. Uh, we're talking about uh, landlord-tenant issues uh, weeks after the disaster, uh, housing issues, FEMA and Small Business Administration applications, unemployment issues, and replacing lost documents. So the recovery agencies and the emergency agencies in Puerto Rico were like trying to deal with a situation that was never before experienced in Puerto Rico. That was the thing that made it more difficult for all of us here. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams coming to you from a sunny and warm Southern California. I write a legal blog named May It Please the Court and have a book out titled The Sled. And before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Clio. Clio's cloud-based practice management software makes it easy to manage your law firm from intake to invoice. You can try it for free at Clio.com. That's C-L-I-O.com. Well, natural disasters like hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, and earthquakes are awe-inspiring forces that can cause extreme levels of destruction and devastation to the communities they impact. In recent months, Hurricane Barry caused flooding and disruption of vital services in New Orleans and its surrounding areas, and two powerful earthquakes rocked and rattled Southern California. And now, some nearly two years later, Puerto Rico is still recovering from the tragic effects of Hurricane Maria. So how do communities deal with the aftermath of a natural disaster, and how can lawyers help? Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we will discuss what an individual can do to prepare for natural disasters, how lawyers can assist in the aftermath, and our guests will discuss their experiences working as lawyers during and after these catastrophic events. And we've got some good examples right now with the current storms we're suffering in Iowa and Nebraska. And to do that, we've got a great show for you today. Our first guest is attorney Daniel Wade. He is the coordinator of the Disaster Legal Services Program, a joint venture of the American Bar Association's Young Lawyers Division and FEMA. The Disaster Legal Services Program works in collaboration with state, local, and federal partners. Welcome to the show, Dan. Happy to be here. Thank you. And our next guest is Jeannie Ortiz Ortiz. She is the Pro Bono Net's Disaster Response Legal Fellow. Jeannie is a bilingual attorney and works to expand free legal resources to disaster survivors. Welcome to the show, Jeannie. Thank you for covering this, Craig. Great to be here. And finally, we have attorney Alejandro Figueroa Quevedo. He is the deputy director of the nonprofit organization Puerto Rico Legal Services. Welcome to the show, Alejandro. Uh, hi, thank you for the invitation. It's an honor to be here with you. Well, Alejandro, let's turn the first question to you. Puerto Rico just suffered through Hurricane Maria. How did it fare? 
Well, Puerto Rico was impacted by two hurricanes in 2017, Irma, and two weeks later, uh, Hurricane Maria. While we were uh, recovering from the uh, Irma aftermath, we received the, the, the impact of Hurricane Maria, which wiped out the island, as you all know. We lost all communications inside the island and for the uh, outside. We people lost houses, you know, people lost properties, their uh, belongings, everything. Most of the people in Puerto Rico. And so most of us have never experienced a situation like this before. So it was like a first situation like this for many Puerto Ricans. These complicated things, since people were not, and most of us, were not properly prepared for these situations. And afterwards, the recovery efforts were very difficult because although Puerto Rico is a small island, there are people living in remote areas. We have a very mountainous uh, island. So roads were closed. Uh, many of them were you know, uh, damaged, uh, rivers uh, uh, out of their banks and everything. So recovery was very, very difficult. Adding to that is the lack of a plan to, for a proper recovery efforts. So that all of those uh, elements complicated things so it was almost like uh, trying to improvise on the efforts that we were making. Almost a week without communications uh, and communications inside the island. So the recovery agencies and the emergency agencies in Puerto Rico were like trying to deal with a situation that was never before experienced in Puerto Rico. That was the thing that made it more difficult for all of us here. Jeannie, what's the reality of the the devastation that people have experienced. I mean, here in Northern California last year, there were some severe fires that wiped out entire communities. Right. So, I mean, there, I think there's no right answer for this, right? Because every case is different uh, because every disaster is different. And, and there's a lot that plays into that equation, like geography, language, resources, outreach, uh, federal and state programs. Uh, but the first thing uh, that people should do is, is visit uh, FEMA.gov uh, disasters and look up for the disasters to see what programs are available in their area that can help them go through that um, uh, recovery process. And I think the most important to remember is, is that the legal issues uh, specifically evolve over time post-disaster, uh, specifically with major disasters like the ones in California uh, or, or Texas and Puerto Rico. Uh, we're talking about uh, landlord-tenant issues uh, weeks after the disaster, uh, housing issues, FEMA and Small Business Administration applications, unemployment issues, and replacing lost documents. And then the, the months that follow, uh, uh, we're talking about FEMA appeals or SBA appeals, evictions, displacement, and contractor fraud uh, for people who relocated to a new location, helping them with any legal documents needed for that transition. And then Years after the disaster, we see foreclosures and bankruptcy and FEMA recruitment and community redevelopment, and sometimes even litigation to address systemic challenges. So I don't think that it's uh, one, one right answer for that, but just a combination of all of those issues that people face. Certainly so. Dan, what, what is it that people should be doing? What's the legal framework of how people can prepare for these kind of disasters? Is there insurance available? Wh who do you go to get this insurance from? What, 
you know, seen emergency lists that people are supposed to prepare and have stock items to be able to have resources after the natural disaster. What What's the steps to prepare? Well, you know, FEMA does have some great resources that uh, give people a sense of what they should be doing to prepare. Uh, insurance is an important component if you can afford it and if you can purchase it. Uh, it does get complicated because with the different kinds of disasters, you know, you're going to have your homeowner's insurance, which covers fire and a lot of uh, wind events, and then you're going to have flood insurance that covers flood events and earthquake insurance that covers earthquakes. So the insurance piece does get complicated, which is one reason why benefits such as FEMA uh, assistance or uh, SBA loans can be helpful for those people who maybe didn't have the right insurance in place or uh, weren't able to obtain it. Um, and then, uh, as Jeannie mentioned, you know, recreating lost documents and all, a lot of those issues can be helped along if you keep important documents in a separate location and that you have yourself a disaster plan. And I think most businesses and families and individuals um, you should have some sort of plan to keep things safe and uh, keep things accessible because that does help uh, make it easier. I've spent a lot of time in disaster recovery centers, which are um, like one-stop shops that FEMA sets up after a disaster and uh, people are coming in and they're getting help with uh, complicated issues, uh, you know, insurance issues and filling out their FEMA applications. But sometimes they have to spend, you know, days and weeks just getting their driver's license and birth certificates and all those kinds of things, which often are necessary um, when you're applying for benefits or when you're trying to prove ownership or occupancy. So that, that is a crucial component, I would say. Alejandro, where do lawyers come in after a natural disaster hits? How can lawyers help? There are many instances where lawyers can help. The FEMA issues are very the most widespread situations here in Puerto Rico. But not only after the, the disaster, but before the disaster. For example, uh, in Maria Hurricane, we learned that people were required to approve, for example, uh, have utility bills for the six months prior to the disaster to prove occupancy and or uh, ownership of the property to uh, receive the FEMA benefits. That's something that most, I think, no, no one knew before the hurricane. And after the hurricane, FEMA issues helping out people to fill the documents. An important, very big problem in Puerto Rico is that the FEMA regulations and the laws in Puerto Rico differ in that in Puerto Rico, we, are, we have the civil code, which comes uh, from Spain. And uh, title issues and property law is quite very different from the FEMA regulations. So FEMA, for example, required uh, documents and deeds for people to prove ownership. In Puerto Rico, people doesn't need to have legal documents or deeds to prove out that they are the owners of the property. Many lands were transferred from generation to generations, and so people started to build their houses, and they've been living there for many, many, many years. And they don't have legal documents since they've been constructing their houses for there for generations. Uh, also, issues with, uh, for example, domestic violence issues in the shelters arise. People getting out from Puerto Rico with their kids. And so courts open for emergency situations like custody situations, for domestic violence situations, issues like uh, minors that were traveling to the United States to receive better health. Uh, care, for example, people that had uh, health issues and or education issues. So lawyers have a lot, a lot of work. 
before and after a disaster. And we have been, up until today, we have been sending attorneys to different FEMA CRCs to help out people in their uh, legal issues. Jeannie, if a lawyer decides to get involved with these kind of helping out with natural disaster uh, legal situations, what should they do? How do they get involved with organizations like yours? As a best practice, the best thing lawyers can do is learn about the issues and familiarize themselves with the resources out there. I would say this before taking a role as a volunteer. There, there are many resources out there, a lot of good stuff with a lot of subject matter experts covering the hot topics. And a lot of them are housed on disasterpeopleaid.org. So that would be a good first step for getting involved. And it actually helps groups on the ground that are often busy in response mode uh, to have support from a lawyer who's well-versed on the issues. I would say reach out to your local bar association, law school clinics, or other groups helping with legal issues to learn more about available opportunities. If there is a Katrina rule, which is an administrative order uh, issued by a Supreme Court of a state or a territory allowing out-of-state lawyers to provide pro bono legal services in the affected area, take advantage of that and learn more about the rule and any restrictions to practice law there when taking on a disaster-related case. And finally, I would say determine how you can help and how much time you can commit to it. I think help comes in a lot of ways, whether it's through a hotline, uh, FEMA appeals, insurance claims, providing training to other lawyers on a specific issue, taking on a case, or helping with updating a statewide disaster legal manual. I think there's often a surge of volunteer lawyers after a disaster, which is good, but the need really comes in the months and years that follow. So I think it's important to to know what your skills are and how you can best support the efforts with them. Dan, you've been through this many times. You've been to disaster recovery centers. Walk us through what happens when someone walks in the door. Their home's destroyed. They're devastated. They have nothing. There's but a blank look in their eyes. You meet them at the door. What happens next? Well, the DRCs are going to be set up where the president has declared um, the disaster and authorized individual assistance. And when you have individual assistance, you have uh, the ability of survivors to register with FEMA and to become eligible for uh, FEMA benefits and small business uh, administration loans. And so the first step is to register with FEMA. And at a DRC, you're going to have FEMA representatives there who will do that for you on site. You can also do it on uh, FEMA's website or over the phone. Uh, but if people are able to travel um, from you know, where they uh, are staying, if their home has been destroyed, a lot of people are not going to be staying in the same areas. But if they are uh, in the same area and they're able to travel to the disaster recovery center, um, they can do a lot of this stuff in person. And then they'll walk through the disaster recovery center and they'll see what's available. Typically we'll have uh, pro bono attorneys from the local legal aid providers in the DRC. We'll have the department of insurance of the state. We'll have nonprofits who are providing uh, meal services or providing toothbrushes and hairbrushes and essentials and things that people have lost. Um, you're going to have the DMV who's going to be uh, providing you know, driver's licenses and recreating lost documents. So really, it, it's a one-stop shop, but, but I've seen people spend hours and days um, in these centers. And when I've sat there uh, at some of the um, DRCs, I've, I've seen the same people come in over and over. And it does take a, a long time, but it is typically a, a place where they can at least start the long road to recovery. 
Jeannie, right after a disaster, there's typically not a whole lot of communication that's available. Cell phone towers are down. Regular people don't carry many phone lines, and they may be out as well. How do people find out about what's available to them, and and where should they be going to find out? I think a lot of of that will depend on where the individual is in their community. So I think that uh, organizations like uh, the ones that uh, Dan and Alejandro work in, uh, their outreach plan is is, is critical to, to that uh, response. And uh, several ways uh, that I know that we promote the resources and share the resources available and help uh, people with that information is through social media uh, press releases, which is published by the American Bar Association. There's other organizations, uh, community events, illegal clinics, illegal brigades that really take charge of working with organizations on the ground to expand as much as information as possible to the individuals affected by the disaster. Thank you. Well, before we move on to our next segment, we're going to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Imagine what you could do with an extra eight hours per week. That's how much time legal professionals save with Clio, the world's leading practice management software. With intuitive time tracking, billing, and matter management, Clio streamlines everything you do to run your practice from intake to invoice. Try Clio for free and get a 10% discount for your first six months when you sign up at their website, clio.com, that's C-L-I-O.com, with the code L2L10, that's L2L, the number 10. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams, and with us today is Attorney Daniel Wade. He's the coordinator of the Disaster Legal Services Program. Attorney Jeannie Ortiz Ortiz, Pro Bono Net's Disaster Response Legal Fellow, and Attorney Alejandro Figueroa Quevedo, the executive director of the nonprofit organization Puerto Rico Legal Services. Alejandro, before the break, we were talking about involvement of attorneys and what people can do and, and where they go for this kind of help, but how have attorneys become involved in Puerto Rico after these two hurricanes? Well, uh, right after the hurricane, we provided Tafford Act training for all of our attorneys. And to that training, we invited other attorneys uh, that uh, were interested in, in helping out people. So we provided several trainings that, uh, for several days so that attorneys could learn how to deal with the survivors that were going primarily to the DRCs. And the reason for that is that since Puerto Rico was so devastated, people were going to the DRCs and to other offices opened by the government to uh, seeking out food, water, communication with families outside the United States, and information and any other help that they could receive since so many people lost their houses. So we started out uh, sending our attorneys to the DRCs that were opening throughout the island. We received an invitation from FEMA so that attorneys could help people uh, filling out their documents with the legal issues that were arising that were a lot because, as I said before, FEMA regulations and the laws of Puerto Rico collided uh, primarily on the issues of property and title. So since the beginning of the DRC's opening, we started our staffing and sending our attorneys on weekly schedules that we started to publish on our Facebook page, for example, and sending out every week to FEMA personnel so they could know and they could uh, inform survivors the days and, and hours that our attorneys were going to be in the DRCs that were eventually changed to CRCs, community recovery centers. 
And that generated a lot of interest from our attorneys and from attorneys throughout the island on helping out people. The courts were closed right after the hurricane, so many attorneys volunteered to help out uh, survivors. Well, Dan, disasters not only affect people and homes, they also affect businesses and law firms. Do you have a, any suggestions to law firms about what to do to prepare for a natural disaster? I think that's a great question. I think that, um, as I mentioned earlier, every organization, every business should have a disaster recovery plan because it's often going to be the case that um, your office is affected by the disaster, but it's also possible and likely that your uh, employees are going to be affected by disaster. I actually have an interesting example of that down in uh, Louisiana after the Baton Rouge floods. Um, we went down to help uh, set up a legal services program um, to deal with the flooding there and the legal aid office that we uh, met with some of the attorneys there, uh, they actually had attorneys in the office who had been flooded out and you know, couldn't come to work and had to deal with their own issues. So I think there's a, a huge challenge there um, and it makes sense to have a plan and, and process to you know, be able to communicate with your employees, to if you have backup systems for your case files and backup systems for um, all of your important documents, you know, that it's, it's possible that a lot of that stuff is going to get destroyed and that you're also going to have your employees affected by it. So it's a real issue. And I think uh, having a, a disaster plan as a business is just as important as having it as an individual or a family. Well, Jeannie, natural disasters not only occur here in the United States, they also occur internationally, and some of them are even worse than the ones that we go through, like volcanoes and other types of things. As an American traveling overseas, what should an American be doing caught in a natural disaster overseas? That's a great question. Based on my experience uh, here, uh, I, I think the, the most important thing is to have a plan uh, and, and know about the resources that can help you. For example, there are many resources, ready.gov, that could apply also if you're traveling to another country and uh, experiencing a disaster. They all have tips on what to do to prepare. And if you don't know what to prepare for, I think that's a little bit harder, right? But, but try to cover your bases as much as you can. And in terms of watching out for your legal health for any disaster, it's very important to document everything, meaning taking inventory of everything, taking pictures of everything, and gathering all of the important documents from you and your family uh, and, may, and taking copies of them and keeping them in a safe place. So that includes uh, birth certificates, ID cards, uh, documents that, that prove where you live or you live, uh, insurance and, and financial documents, and uh, other, other documents like medical records. So I think it's important to, to have a plan. Alejandro, in the situation in Puerto Rico, it, it has to be that there was a significant loss of public's uh, resources to the people of Puerto Rico. What happens when there's nothing available to help you out? That's a very good and difficult question. When there's nothing to help us out, you know, we have to invent and try to do our best to identify the situation, the problems, and try to, you know... Um, identify what we can give out to the communities and the people, what we are and what we can do to help out. And so, like us, many other entities and people throughout the island did exactly that. You know, they thought, no, what is what I can do best to help and go through this situation and help other people and start the recovery efforts. So that's like, uh, that's what we did. 
we are attorneys. That, that's what we uh, have, uh, legal services. Provided the services that the people needed, the legal services that the people needed. Many other entities formed like uh, united with one with the other to help out and to reach out for the communities. For example, we received invitations and requests from other non-governmental organizations that they were going to a certain community to hand out food, water, give out medical services, and so they asked us to uh, send attorneys to for legal services that the people requested many assessments, affidavits, or people that you know have uh, had doubts about uh, legal situations. So that's what we did in order to uh, cope with the situation and try to uh, recover as fast and as efficient as, as possible. Well, Dan, there are also in, in natural disasters, there are people who watch them from the sidelines and uh, are not affected by those natural disasters, but yet they want to help. Sometimes that help comes in the form of money. Sometimes it's an assistance. But what are the appropriate organizations to turn to for people that are watching from the outside, watching these disasters occur and want to help out? You hear a lot on the internet about, you know, how sometimes the money doesn't get to where it's intended to go to and other types of fraudulent situations. What's the safest and the best thing for people to do that want to help out? Well, that's a great question. Uh, in terms of, you know, attorneys who are sitting, you know, outside of the, the di- disaster zone and have the ability to help, you know, one of the things that you can do, is, and Jeannie mentioned this earlier, was to uh, see if your state bar or your local bar association has a um, disaster response program. And typically that's actually the way that the uh, American Bar Association Disaster Legal Services Program um, gets involved is that we help build up the state and local level uh, disaster response programs. And so we help coordinate a hotline, gather the attorneys who can do the volunteering. And sometimes those attorneys are, uh, you know, already employees of the legal services providers. Sometimes those are volunteers. And one thing that's uh, been kind of an interesting development in the last few disasters, uh, Puerto Rico um, being an example, is that attorneys, you know, from across the country actually will get involved on a remote basis to help people with the FEMA appeals process. And so um, that's one of the things that the uh, American Bar Association Disaster Legal Services Program has been involved in uh, cultivating is a volunteer list of attorneys and say, New York who want to help do appeals for somebody in uh, Puerto Rico or somebody out in here in California who wants to help somebody uh, who's in the Virgin Islands who's uh, experiencing uh, an issue. And it often is the case that there are a lot more uh, attorneys who can help outside of the disaster area than inside of the disaster area. And so connecting those things, um, you know, through the American Bar Association or through uh, locals and and state bars um, and also uh, you know, through uh, pro bono net and, and other resources, there are a lot of ways that you can get involved, even if you're not right there in the middle of the disaster. Great. Thank you. Well, folks, it looks like we've just about reached the end of our program. At this time, we'd like to take the uh, this opportunity to invite our guests to share their final thoughts, as well as their contact information, websites, so that you can get involved a little bit further. And Dan, since you were right on that topic, let's turn it right back to you. Sure. So, um, I would encourage folks to visit the Disaster Legal Services program uh, website. The 
address is actually quite long um, and people won't write it down. So what I suggest is just Google disaster legal services and it's the first hit that you get on, on Google and it takes you to the American Bar Association website that has all the information on the active disaster recoveries, hotlines, how to get involved, um, and a number of other resources there. Um, and my contact info and the rest of my team's contact info is there. And Jeannie, we'll turn it over to you to get your contact information as, as well as your final thoughts. Sure. I, I would say it's a matter of, of, of knowing it, it, and acknowledging that disasters are, are here to stay. Uh, I know that FEMA recently released a, a report uh, saying that at least the 2017 disasters affected close to 8% of the entire U.S. population. That's, that, that's very scary. So this is something that really affects low-income communities across the U.S. And it's something where uh, lawyers are, are very needed. And also, the people's encounter with, with the federal system specifically, uh, which can be confusing because of a lot of bureaucracy, happens at a time when the individual uh, has more than likely endured a, a traumatic experience, such as losing a loved one or their home, or having to relocate to a new location or a shelter because they can't return to their home. So bearing that in mind while supporting a client or a survivor uh, through their recovery, I think is, is key. If people want to learn more about uh, the resources that Pro Bono Net um, houses, they can uh, visit disasterlegalaid.org, uh, specifically for survivors. We house a lot of resources for their recovery and self-help tools. And if attorneys want to get involved, they can visit disasterlegalaid.org uh, slash advocates uh, to learn more about the network and uh, other ways to collaborate and, and volunteer. And my email is jortiz at probono.net. Thank you, Jeannie. And finally, Alejandro, your final thoughts and contact information, please. We are two months into the 2019 hurricane season, so we might be, hopefully not, but we can be and potentially be impacted with a hurricane or any storm. So it's very important to educate people about their rights, about what they need to have and the documents they need to, in order to be more prepared for a situations like the ones we uh, encountered in, in 2007 with Maria Hurricane. Our, we have a website, which is serviciosLegales.org, that will be spelled like S-E-R-V-I-C-I-O-S-L-E-G-A-L-E-S.org. That's where we have our, all our information. And we have a 1-800 number, which is in the Disaster Legal Aid website, and that's the contact for our services also. So thanks for this interview and the honor to be here with you. Thank you, Alejandro. Thank you very much. So if you'd like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting app. You can also visit us at LegalTalkNetwork.com, where you can leave a comment on today's show and sign up for our newsletter. I'm Craig Williams. Thanks for listening. You can join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast, covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. 
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.